Well, we are in the last week of our series called The Great Invitation. Uh, This is almost a prequel series to our upcoming series that we are starting next Sunday, uh, where we are going to be walking through the Gospel of Mark. Now, I I said a while ago, we're going to probably spend like at least like six semesters in, in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, people have been coming up and they're like, you mean like six weeks? No, 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 I I meant six semesters. Oh, like six months, no, six semesters. So uh, this is like at least a two or three year process. We'll have a few little series kind of interspersed because I'm too ADD to keep it the the same thing for too long. But just to give you an example, this upcoming fall, we're going to spend like eight or nine weeks just on Mark chapter one. And so, you know, uh, and then it's going to start speeding up a bit. We're not going to go to snail's pace forever, but we're going to really dive in, and and we hope that at the end of the series, I mean, we just know the gospel of Mark inside and out. And so this is kind of a a prequel. Uh, The great invitation refers to Jesus' invitation to come and follow him and to be fishers of people. And so... um, you know what, I don't have my clicker here, so Ben, I'm going to need your help. And, and so just as a, let's go to the next slide. The, uh, the, we started off this, this, uh, this series where, where I talked about um, the, really, when Christ calls us, he bids us come and die, give up everything. And yet we find that the gospel is actually the bargain of a lifetime. You can listen to the sermons on the podcast on, on our website. And then the week after that, Sush, one of our elders, he talked about this, one of our first values, worship. What does it look like to pursue intimacy with God? Right? Last week, Brian talked about uh, com- community. What does it look like for us to connect deeply with one another? Well, today I'm going to conclude by talking about mission. Uh, and the way we talk about mission is, is being Christ's presence in the world. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, you want to open up with me to Acts chapter 1. That's on page 909 if you want to use the Bible in front of your chairs. And and just as an aside, when we start the Gospel of Mark, uh, if you have a a Bible either on your phone or a physical Bible, you want to bring that along, you want to mark it, you want to read it, we want to be studying that together. Oh, also next Sunday too, uh, uh, as you join us, uh, we, we have our new worship pastor who uh, will be joining us for the first Sunday. Oh, thank you, Nate. Uh, so we're also going to be welcoming uh, Matt Brooks, our, our new worship pastor. He and his family are driving out of Ventura, California, starting tomorrow. We'll arrive here on Friday and we'll be leading worship on Sunday with us. Uh, so let's read together Acts chapter 1, verse 1 through 11. Uh, follow along with me. <clears throat> This is from the English Standard Version. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. 
But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the hinge verse that we're going to be looking at. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here ends a reading of God's word. And so today we want to talk about what it looks like to be Christ's presence in the world. And so just as a, as a frame of reference, uh, I want to start off by uh, addressing one theological foundation that will inform uh, what this looks like for us, and, and then we'll move on to some practical considerations, two, two in particular. But I, I want to start off with just a theological foundation, because so often when we talk about mission or, or being witnesses or being in the world, I think too often we just kind of go and, and just think, okay, we need to serve the need, needs of the poor, we just need to go out there. But I think there's a, an important theological foundation that we often skip over. And so the, this theological foundation uh, that we're going to walk through together is, is uh, uh, um, our union with Christ. Okay, and we'll, we'll flesh that out and, and why this is important. But basically, we are in, invited into the life of Christ. So, so the invitation of the gospel isn't just, so, just to trust Jesus so we could go to heaven, the good news of the gospel is that we actually get Jesus himself, right? That we are now united with Christ, and that's a theological concept. We are united with Christ, and we have been graciously adopted into his family as his sons and daughters. So we start this conversation about what it means to be Christ's presence in the world uh, mission, right, this, with this idea of being united with Christ and being adopted into his family, and this is absolutely central to understanding uh, what mission is. And the reason why this is central is because too often we could fall into, into the temptation of believing or thinking that God is somehow distant or removed from our everyday life. And maybe every once in a while, he'll break in on a special occasion and answer our prayers or, or to show up in our life in one way or another. Uh, but, but when you read through the accounts in the book of Acts, that was not the nature of the relationship that these first disciples experienced in the book of Acts. No, they saw themselves as, as people who were in Christ and Christ was in them. And one of the most central aspects of that union we read this morning was when Luke talks about, the, who's the author, he says, uh, uh, Jesus says to them, I am going to send you my Holy Spirit. In other words, the same spirit uh, that empowered my life and my mission is now going to inhabit and indwell your lives and it will empower you for this same mission as well. And so these first disciples saw themselves as being united with Christ. Jesus, and Jesus sees himself as united with us. Now, follow along. We'll, we'll get to relevance in a few moments. Just, just in, as, as an example, in Acts chapter 8, there's a guy named Saul who had been persecuting Christians. 
and he has this miraculous encounter with the risen Christ, and he hears a voice from heaven. And this voice says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? What, what does it say? Me. I mean, Christians? I, I mean, it would make sense for, for Jesus to say, why are you persecuting my followers? But rather, Jesus says, no, why are you persecuting me? Because we, as his people, are his body. We are the body of Christ, and so you cannot harm his body without harming him. Whatever you do to one another, whatever you say about one another, you are doing it to Christ. That is how tightly we are united with Christ and how intimately Christ is united with us. And this, for whatever reason... Is, uh, is how God has chosen to carry out his work in the world. Uh, it, it's peop- through people, through his body, through his church. Now, let me just, uh, a little aside here. So many of us, especially those who are of the more skeptical persuasion, uh, may have asked questions like this. Well, why doesn't God break in into our world and, and just alleviate suffering that's going on? Why doesn't he just come in and eliminate poverty or heal disease? I mean, where is God in all this? And that's a legitimate question. I want us to consider uh, uh, as we talk through this, the words of C.S. Lewis, I think he has a really good point he makes here. He, he, he wrote this, for he, God, seems to do nothing of himself which he can possibly delegate to his creatures. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. So Lewis isn't necessarily answering the question of where is God? Why doesn't he do that? But simply he makes the observation that this seems to be the way that God has chosen to work in the world. Something he could do perfectly in the twinkling of an eye for whatever reason, because we are united in him, he has chosen to use you and I to bring about good in this world. Now, of course, God could break into this world in in unexplainable, supernatural ways, and he does do that at times, but for the most part, God has chosen to use us as his people, and he, he invites us to be a part of his work in the world, which is what we see throughout the book of Acts. So, our foundation for being Christ's presence in this world is, is what is it again? Our union with Christ. And so, now, let me flesh this out a bit, right? So, it's this whole idea that if Jesus is on a mission in the world and we are in him, okay, and he is in us, and if Jesus is on a mission, and we are in him, and he is in in us, that means uh, we're on a mission as well, And, and this is what it means to be a follower of Jesus, and ultimately, this is what it means to be the church, to be his missionary presence in the world around us, and now notice, this is a total reversal of how many of us think of church, right? We think of church as a place to go or something we do, but uh, as opposed to the idea of church being just who we are. And so we are sent by Christ to be his presence in the world, uh, to live out his good news as a way of life so that our friends, neighbors, and coworkers, as they get to know us, 
they actually get to know Jesus Christ. So is that true? As your friends and coworkers get to know you, do they get to know your Lord and Savior? So this is the theological foundation, our our, our union with Christ. Now let's go to a couple of practical considerations. Now I, I know that sometimes when we start talking about all this kind of stuff, it's easy to start feeling this sense of guilt. Right? Uh, just imagine a new Christian, right? Let's say somebody has just come to Christ and he is celebrating the fact that he has been saved by grace through faith in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. It is not anything he has done, he has not earned salvation. And that his standing with God has nothing to do with his good behavior or his morals or anything like that, right? And so a new Christian, if you've ever met a Christian, new Christian, there's just a joy and a freedom and a lightness about them. And, and this was my experience as well, too. But, you know, after you've, become a, after you've become a Christian, it's just natural for other Christians who, who mentor you, who disciple you, the church, the pastors, just to, to start telling you, well, you know, make, make sure you read your Bible every day. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. And you know what? Uh, don't forget to pray also because that, that's how you maintain your relationship with God. Sure, yeah, yeah, that's what I've been doing. And remember, go to church every Sunday. Uh, okay. Uh, and, and then, you know what, you've got to really join a small group. Okay. And then, you know what, you have to share your faith with your friends and coworkers. And, and you know what, don't forget to serve the poor. All of a sudden, this Christian who experienced freedom and joy it almost starts to feel like all these things on top of one another, and then you come here this morning, and your pastor tells you that you have to be the presence of Christ and join him in, on his mission in the world. And I know that this kind of conversation can quickly feel that way, that there's just another thing and another thing and another thing and another thing that I'm told about what to do to live a Christian life, and all of a sudden, all these expectations start to dampen your love and your joy and the freedom that you experience in Christ. And now your faith feels like this huge burden that you're carrying around. How many of you resonate with that feeling? Wow, okay, just a few of you. <laughs> the rest of you are liars. You feel guilty about not admitting that. For me, growing up in a strict conservative Presbyterian church, there was this what I would call guilt-driven spirituality. Right? I'm not pegging that on anybody else, but that was just my experience. And where I read the Bible, I prayed, I served the poor, I joined a, a small group, I went to church. I did all these things because that was the only way to actually feel good about my Christianity. And what happened over time was that my motivation, for example, for reading the Bible wasn't to encounter truth through the Holy Spirit in the words of Jesus uh, in the Bible or to learn the story of God. My motivation for reading the Bible was, that, was so I wouldn't feel guilty about not reading the Bible, which goes totally against the grain of the gospel, doesn't it? Right? I mean, the gospel really says guilt is not something that is absolved by doing more good works, by reading the Bible more, praying, or trying harder. No, guilt is something that is only removed by the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Even, and this went on even in college. <clears throat> As I went to church, I was taught to have a quiet time 
with God. Anybody here been taught, yeah, how to have a quiet time with God? And again, that's not a bad thing, but I remember on those days when I didn't have my quiet time, I suffered from what I would call devotional guilt. Right? Oh my goodness. Of course I got a flat tire on my bike because I didn't have my quiet time today. Of course I got an A because I had my quiet time today. Yes, God. And it sounds funny, but when somebody finally told me, hey, uh, you know, God doesn't love you any less if you miss your quiet time. Right? And they, that may sound really simple and fundamental, but it like ruined me. It melted my heart. And I was like, oh my goodness, God's grace, this is what it's all about. Now, I, I use that example because I think what has happened for many of us because of the zeitgeist of our times, right? You know that word, right? Of course you do. It's Ann Arbor, right? If you don't, just look it up. Because of the zeitgeist of our times, like, is that what we've done is we have taken devotional guilt and we have replaced it with missional guilt. So now, the way to feel good about your Christian faith isn't through the old school practices of reading the Bible or praying, but now it's about serving the poor, loving my neighbors, fighting injustice and oppression. And all the loads, all that loads, these huge stones around our necks, and we find ourselves again feeling like our faith is a huge burden that we are carrying around. And so the first thing I want to do is just acknowledge this whole idea of missional guilt as we talk about being Christ's presence in the world. Now, obviously, I'm not saying that scripture and prayer, justice and mercy are bad things. The problem is when these things get loaded on top of us, we start dying from the inside out. And so being Christ's presence in the world has to begin with uh, this whole idea, this, this, what the Bible calls, and it's a theological term, regeneration. That is, whereupon our conversion to Christ through faith and upon repentance of our sins, we are given a new heart. We are given a new set of desires. We are given a new identity as, ado as adopted sons and daughters of God. And then what happens is over time, our heart begins to expand and grow. And Jesus begins to call our attention to peoples and places that we have never noticed before. All of a sudden, our hearts over time begins to start breaking for the things that break the heart of God. And maybe for some of us, it's because you've gone on a mission trip and so the things that were all of a sudden, that, that used to be really distant and theoretical, all of a sudden now become real and personal because you've experienced it and to the point where you genuinely care about the things that are going on in this world and you want to see God's kingdom come into those places. So you shouldn't be surprised if you are a follower of Jesus that God will continue to expand and grow your heart. I mean, that's just a normal part of the Christian life. And if that hasn't been happening to you, I, I don't know how much you're actually growing. That God expands your heart. This is simply an outflow of the work that God is give, doing in our lives and giving us a new heart. Now, it'd be really simple at this point 
to say, yeah, you know, we could either live joy-filled lives on mission or live legalistic kind of burdensome lives um, and and kind of juxtapose them as two easy kind of ways of living. Uh, But that doesn't necessarily necessarily resolve all the tension, right? Because, I mean, we, we find ourselves in both places multiple times a day. So how do you walk in that tension, in that space between living on mission with joy and freedom for Christ and being driven by duty and guilt and I should and I ought to? How do you live in that tension? The answer is, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I think I do know, but I don't have a simple answer. I don't have an easy answer because being Christ's presence in the world is not a program. It is not three easy steps to be Christ's presence. It's not a task that you check off on your Christian duty list. Rather, it, is a, it, is out of, it comes out of the flow of your relationship with Christ. And you know that relationships, human relationships, are messy and unpredictable and dynamic. And it is so with Jesus as well, too. And so there, we're not going to give you a plan or seven steps. But the point is to learn in your relationship with Christ, how to listen to Jesus, how to hear God, how to hear that still small voice of the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you in your life. And it's then, by faith and obedience, as you respond to what God is saying to you, that you will begin to find yourself being the hands and feet of Jesus. You'll find yourself being witnesses of of Christ. Here's the problem. I think so often I am and we are, we are so busy and distracted running from one thing to another. And the question is, are you attentive enough to hear the voice of God in your life? I'd say for most of us, the answer is no. And so let's acknowledge this missional guilt that we often experience, and let's just really be reminded that mission is an overflow of worship and community, and these all work together. That it is not just about, well, we ought to share our faith, we ought to go serve the poor. No, it begins with this whole idea of regeneration, being given a new heart and a new identity, and allowing Jesus to expand and grow that. One other practical consideration I want us to wrestle with is found in verse 8, where Jesus talks about how you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. Uh, And it's this whole idea that we join Jesus on his mission in the world. Now, when I was in college, I was involved in an awesome church where I learned a ton of things but, you know, years later, you know, you look back and you're like, wow, there, there were a lot of things and there were other things that, like, yeah, have shifted since then. One of the things that we talked about when I was in college was <clears throat> we talked a lot about witnessing as something we do. So we would say, well, I'm going to go witnessing on the Diag. Do you want to come along? Uh, or I haven't had a chance to witness to my coworkers yet. Or I'm praying for an opportunity to witness to my friends and to my my family members. So we talked about witnessing as something we do. But that is not how Jesus talks about it in, in the book of Acts. Notice, witness is not something we do. It is something we are. 
So witnessing, this is the second consideration, recognizing witness, it's a noun. It's who we are. It's not a verb. It's not something you do. You don't go and witness. You are a witness. And so I, I hope and pray that this week, this verse just comes ringing into your ears. You will be my witnesses in Ann Arbor, Ipsy, Washtenaw County, and to the ends of the earth. This happened about a month ago. Uh, I, I was, uh, uh, I, 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 uh, I was in Ikea. Here's a story, here's a story of uh, being a witness. I, I was in Ikea, uh, out in Canton, and I had placed an order on the Ikea website to pick, to pick some items up for a very small house project that I was doing this summer. Uh, and if you know me, I'm very mechanically challenged, so a small house project is like changing the light bulb, okay? Uh, but I'm, 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 I go to Ikea, and I'm, I go to the counter to pick up my items, and the, the young woman behind the counter says, well, uh, it's not here. I'm like, what do you mean it's not here? I ordered it online, and it said that you have these items in stock. She checked the computer and says, yes, you know, it, it, it says it's, un, it's, it's in stock. But we don't have it. Sir, it's going to be another two weeks. And at this time, I'm going, man, there is no way that God wants me to wait for two weeks for this item. I mean, I, I need to get this done, right? I hate house projects. There's no way I'm going to get, get put, like, wait on this. And I start getting really ramped up, right? I, I start getting really frustrated. And I start telling this young woman, look, I ordered online. Your computers say that you have some in stock. And oh, my goodness. And then the words come ringing into my head, you will be my witnesses. And I go, oh, gosh, okay, Jesus, right? I just release this to you. I don't need to get it done today. I will be your witness. I will stop being a frustrating, like, stubborn customer. And so, uh, so I start engaging with this young woman again, like with a different attitude. And literally, the first question she asks me a- after I release all this is, so, so what do you do? <laughs> and I hear Jesus laughing in the background. <laughs> I got you, son. Oh, my goodness, yes. Jesus is laughing at me. And I tell her, well, uh, yeah, I'm... Uh, I'm a pastor. <laughs> oh, well, you know, I don't really go to church much. Oh, hey, that's okay, you know. Where are you a pastor at? Oh, in Ann Arbor. It's a church called Gracie Ann Arbor. And, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I happen to think you'd like our church because it's, well, for people who don't really go to church much, you know. And, and then we just have this great conversation. And this is the, the point that I want to make. Being a witness doesn't mean you're handing out tracts or standing on street corners, right? And if I could mess with you a little bit, it's this. You already are a witness for Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, then your life is a witness to who God is. And so you are a living testimony So your neighbors and coworkers, it's not that you haven't started witnessing to them because you haven't mentioned the name of Jesus. No, the moment you meet them is is you are already a witness. Your life is a witness to God, 
God's grace in your life. Because you know what? They are observing your life. They are watching you. So you are a witness. You don't go witnessing. You are a witness. But it doesn't stop there. It's not just about living a life that is pleasing to God and being a witness to Christ. Right? Being a witness, think of it in legal terms. Right? If somebody, in a court case, you are called up as a witness. Right? You are not called to come up and to share about your opinions about politics or this or that. What, what, what does a witness do on the stand? All they have to do is tell somebody what they have seen, heard, or experienced. That is it. And so you and I have experienced Christ and the power of his resurrection even if you don't know how to defend all these tough questions and you don't know the Bible inside and out, that's not the point of being a witness. The point of the witness is, is just sharing, hey, I've experienced Christ in my life and I know the changes that he's made in, in my life and this is who God is. So we are witnesses to the best news the world could ever hear. And that news is that Jesus came in the flesh, God came in the flesh, lived the life that we couldn't live, the perfect life we couldn't live, died the death that we deserve. Because if you don't live the perfect life, you know, we deserve eternity without the presence of God. And now, he has, through Jesus Christ, he has reconciled us to God so that we can live now and forevermore the life that God intends for us. And so being a witness isn't just living a good moral life. It is actually about when those opportunities come to be a witness, to share a verbal witness of who God is and what he's done in your life. And so maybe, has, has this ever happened to you? It happens to me all the time. A friend who's a non-Christian asks you, hey, what are you doing? You doing anything this weekend? Usually my answer is like, yeah, you know, I'm going to a party at some friend's house and yeah, I'm going, I'm going to the football game this weekend. How often do I actually tell them, yeah, I'm going to church too? I, and I know I said that in a way that I said not to use the word, right? Go to church. Church is not something you go to. But it's, it's, it's the way that people understand church. But how often do you say, yeah, you know what? I, I'm going to church and then I'm hanging out with some friends afterwards. I mean, it's not something that you just have to muster up and just go do. It's something that you are. And so this is the great invitation to receive the good news and experience it yourself. And in the context of this, this body of Christ, that means, again, pursuing intimacy with God in our worship to him. It also means with one another, connecting deeply in community. But finally, it also means that we are learning to be Christ's presence in this world. Would you join me in prayer? And so here we are, Lord. We want to be a part of what you are doing in this world. We want to learn to pay attention to the peoples and the places around us right here in everyday life. To see our jobs, our neighbors, our friends as a window for the seeds of your kingdom to be planted and watered. We don't want to walk around with this guilt or heavy burden we simply want to live as people who have received your grace and are therefore now a gracious people. So, Lord Jesus, would you expand our hearts in this time, in the way that you want to, 
in each of our stories, would you help us to hear and be attentive to what you're saying to us? And would you form in us the image of your son, Jesus Christ? It's in his name we pray. Amen.